This sermon was preached at University Park Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. For more information about UPBC, visit upbchouston.org. Let's open our time together this morning in prayer. Join me in praying. Lord, we do rejoice in the truths of the gospel. Lord, we rejoice in your grace that has gathered this particular people to come together, Lord, and worship you and love one another, to witness to this part of Houston, to love a college campus and the neighbors that are around us from a heart that overflows from the love you've shown us in Christ. Lord, we pray that as a family, you would guide us and lead us. Help us to live in the promises that you give us, that you are with us. And that the the heavy lifting, the hard work, really the impossible work of making disciples is ultimately your work. And you've called us just to be faithful. Help us to see what that looks like today and in the coming days. Help us to be dependent on you. Help us to be humbled by your grace. Help us to be bold with opportunities that we have even today to share the gospel. Help us to think long and hard about eternity. That everyone in this room, everyone that we've ever met, will spend eternity somewhere. And we have this short mist of a life. Lord, help us to steward that life well. Guide us, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Six years into his 33-year ministry at Bethlehem Baptist Church, John Piper wrote this in his journal on November 6, 1986. He said this, the church is looking for a vision for the future, and I do not have it. The one vision that the staff zeroed in during our retreat Monday and Tuesday of this week, the building of a sanctuary, is so unattractive to me today that I do not see how I could provide the leadership and inspiration for it. Does this mean that my time at Bethlehem is over? Does it mean that there's a radical alternative unforeseen? Does it mean that I'm simply in the pits today and unable to feel the beauty and power and joy and fruitfulness of an expanded facility and ministry? Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. I am so discouraged. I am so blank. I feel like there are opponents on every hand, even when I know that most of my people are for me. I am so blind to the future of the church. I must preach on Sunday, and I can scarcely lift my head. I've read that quote before, years ago, and when I read it again recently, it really resonated with me in a different way. It is a terrifying picture, a terrifying place to be, a place that I've been. And I appreciate that he doesn't scold his people for asking for a vision. 
for asking for direction and, and say something like, well, that's the business world talking. Of course, you, that's what you want. Uh, we're a church. We don't need that kind of talk. And I, I understand that, that argument. But he does see the value in a, in a clear vision leading the church, but is also crying out to God for help. Because when you don't have it, it is incredibly discouraging. When you see opportunity coming left and right, and it seems like every step you make um, could, be, could be one that's, that's wrong and lead the people in a, in a difficult or wrong direction. We're not six years in, we're, we're two years in as a church. But there have been similar crisis points, similar discouragements and discussions among our elders. And it's so easy to be overwhelmed and, and then sort of paralyzed, not knowing which step to take. Now, obviously, things worked well. God uh, graciously worked in John Piper's ministry there in Bethlehem for years and years. And we anticipate that he's going to do that here as well. I do want to give just a brief apologetic for having a, a vision and mission statement in the first place and preaching a sermon on it. And what you're going to find out later is there's going to be multiple sermons on it. Your elders are not trying to take a an idea from the business world, a business principle, and lay it on top of the Bible, thinking that somehow that's going to bring better results. The Lord Jesus has promised to build his church. He is the senior pastor of the church. He is the chief shepherd, and he is the king. The church is his. The vision is his. The mission is his. Because the gospel is his, the power is his, the authority is his. And he has given us marching orders. He has placed us in a strategic place on the battlefield. And so our desire in working and praying through a mission and vision statement and statements as an elder team is that we would be focused together as a congregation, consistently walking in the same direction, to have a, a shared vision as a church. So instead of, think, imagine us giving you a time card and saying, you need to come in every Sunday, and, and when you do, you can punch that time card, and we know that you've come, and, and then maybe there's another event, and you punch that, that card, and you know that you've come, so you can say, okay, we've done it. That's not the way we want to do this. We want you to understand what's behind these, these statements that we're about to go through, the why behind the things that we're doing, and, and even giving us kind of a grid to filter through questions and opportunities and decisions that we'll make as a church together. When we wonder, out loud even, uh, why are we supporting this ministry or giving toward th this ministry and not that ministry? When we ask, why are we worshiping the way that we are? Why would I go to church and then spend all morning and get home around one o'clock and then turn around and come back at five o'clock for a prayer meeting? Not to mention we have prayer meeting at 845 on Sundays. I would encourage you to come to that as well. Why would I take time to invest in a fellowship group that we've been talking about already this morning when my schedule is already so busy? Why would I open my home for an evangelistic Bible study? Why would I bear with someone through drug addiction and homelessness? So instead of a time card, what we want to do is give you more of a compass that would, that would lead you and guide you and guide us as a church. With a compass, no matter where we are, no matter what obstacles we encounter, we can always be heading in the right direction. 
We can always know where true north is. And we can even find different ways to get there. If one door closes, we might go around to another door because we know the destination. We know where we're all trying to get to. And we can also avoid distractions, some scenic paths along the way that look nice, but they're not going to actually take us to the, the place that we need to get to as a congregation. A vision focuses us and helps us to stay together on the important things in life, in church life. There is a heaven. There is a hell. Both are eternal. And every single person, every single human being on this planet who has ever lived will end up in one or the other. And we have this now short time together. How are we going to spend it? How are we going to steward it? And so my prayer is what I'm, what I'm presenting today would be a healthy first step toward answering that question for us as a body. So here's how we're going to approach the sermon today. Uh, it's not going to be a normal exposition of a passage is what we typically do. If you were here last Sunday, you heard Sam Webb preach through a section from the book of Ephesians. Lord willing, next Sunday I'll be preaching through a section in the book of Genesis. But today is a special sermon dedicated to our mission and vision. And, and I'll just give you a heads up. I got into this and was planning to cover a lot more and I realized I'm not going to be able to cover a lot more. So there'll be, this won't be the last sermon. This will be part one, okay? So I just want to give you that, that heads up. You can relax as we go, go, go over some of the things that we wanted to cover. But as the elders are praying through and working through these things, uh, we have worked on several statements that we hope would, would build that compass for us as a body. And uh, we want to, we want to, overview those today. And so, so we're going to look first at this kind of a summary or identity statement that outlines who we are as a church. You can put that up uh, uh, there now and you can, you can see it there. University Park Baptist Church is a redeemed people gathered together by the grace of God for the glory of God. That's who we are. And then we're going to spend some, some time, the rest of our time, uh, thinking through, um, kind of unpacking that but there are four statements that we're going to use to kind of guide that statement. So you can see those on the next slide. And they all start with M. You're welcome. Um, a vision for the, for the ministry of University Baptist Church, these four M's, our mission, our message, our ministry, and our motivation. I'll read these. Our mission is to be faithfully urgent in making and maturing disciples as we preach the gospel from Southwest Houston to the ends of the earth. Our message centers around the, the God of the universe who is, speaks, saves, and sins. Our ministry is centered on the, on the church, God's program for spreading his glory to the nations. And finally, our motivation is his love that compels us. We're going to spend most of our time this morning on that first summary statement and this first M, mission. And Lord willing, we'll get to those other M's in the coming days. You're going to see these principles, these ideas running through the things that, that much of our corporate prayers, our, our Sunday school classes, our new members classes, our, our corporate uh, prayer times that are in church or in the service and outside of the service, the information that we give to visitors. Uh, this is going to become, this isn't going to be just a one and done. This is going to be something that we're, is in front of you often. And so let's begin uh, thinking about this, this summary statement together, and I think we'll blow it up for you so you can see maybe a little bit better in this next slide. University Park Baptist Church is a redeemed people gathered together by the grace of God for, for the glory of God. 
Now, if you're visiting with us this morning or or you're new, you should know that University Park Baptist Church was formed a little over two years ago when two churches, Baptist Church of the Redeemer and College Park Baptist Church, merged together. And it happened in a very interesting way that I think has the fingerprints of God all over it. Uh, it was a, that fateful day, that spring day in 2020 when we found ourselves on a Zoom call. Anybody remember that? Okay. We found ourselves on a Zoom call uh, as the members from University Park, uh, the members from Baptist Church of the Redeemer and members of College Park Baptist Church because of the reality of the pandemic that had just hit covenanted together, covenanted together on a Zoom call. And essentially that's like going to the, to, the, to the wedding ceremony, standing at the altar and saying, I do. I promise to love this other person and, and these other uh, Christians um, with the love of Christ. And, and, the, and you can find so those specific promises that are laid out in our church covenant. It's on our website. We read it regularly at our members' meetings. Sometimes we'll read it even on a Sunday morning in the service to remind us and center us on our promises that we've made to God, to one another, to the church, to our families, and etc. So the Lord brought two families together. And in his providence, those two families became one. College Park was planted in 1961 with an intention to serve uh, Houston Baptist College at the time and the growing area around it. And Baptist Church of the Redeemer was planted in 2005 in Sugarland. And uh, my wife and I joined in 2006. And then I had the privilege of being the lead pastor there from 2008 to 2020. And so we, we changed the name, we, we used the name University Park Baptist um, and as a way of reflecting the, the, the change that's happened at HBU, no longer a college, but a university. And we adopted the New Hampshire Confession of Faith as our statement of faith, a revised version of that. You can also find that on our website, and you can see the way that we uh, agree what we believe together, and then, which is the statement of faith, and how we agree to live, which is the church covenant. And as I said, if you were here in our last members meeting, um, we've been through some ups and downs in these past two years. And, I, and I, I use the analogy of my, my own marriage and looking back at my marriage in the first two years, um, and I can say the same. We had some rough times, some ups and downs, and we weren't sure how everything was going to work out. Um, and, and, and often in those, first, those early years, we would, something would happen and we would reflect on the way we grew up and say, my parents used to do it this way. My, and she would say, her parents used to do it this way. And we probably ended up doing more about what her parents did. But anyway, that's another story. That's marriage counseling. We can talk about that later. But now, Lord willing, in January, we're about to celebrate 25 years of marriage. And guess what? We're not talking about what her parents and my parents used to do. Now we talk about the way that we do things, the way that we do things together as a family. And that's what I want to just emphasize in that very first phrase. We are University Park Baptist Church. That's who we are, okay? That we, that's, that's our identity. And this vision and mission is going forward for University Park Baptist Church. Uh, there's been chapters that, have, that have, we can celebrate from, from, from the, the past, from College Park Baptist Church and Baptist Church of the Redeemer. Those chapters in God's providence have closed and we are walking into a new chapter together as a congregation. And so, so keep that in mind as we, as we go through this, um, this morning. We are University Park Baptist Church, and we are a redeemed people, a people that have been saved. 
have been saved by Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed from sin and rebellion to eternal life with God. And so we strive here for what we would say we call regenerate church membership, which just is just an effort to say that those that are members of our church are actually born again. They are actual Christians who know God personally and have, have trusted in Jesus Christ and walk with him and know him who are saved. That's, that's our, our, our goal, striving for that as much as it depends on us. We are redeemed people and we are gathered together both by covenant and action. So a redeemed people gathered together and I, and I said covenant and action. I mentioned that earlier, the, the, the covenant that we have promised together to, to love one another with the love of Christ. And part of that, that commitment is to regularly gather as a church. So the church is not a building, it's a people. And, and, and just as you heard Sam say, welcome to this gathering of University Park Baptist Church this morning. There is a regular gathering of University Park Baptist Church on the Lord's Day. In fact, we've promised to gather on the Lord's Day and to, at other times to serve and savor and glorify God in worship. And so we've been redeemed and saved and brought into a gathering, into a people, a gathering of saints called the church. And this, according to the statement, is all by the grace of God, all by the grace of God. We believe salvation is holy of grace. And therefore, all the glory for our salvation goes to God. He's a big God and his grace is absolutely amazing and it is available for sinners. Ephesians 2.10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation is holy of grace. All the glory goes to God. And that grace is available to you even now. This is who we are. University Baptist Church, University Park Baptist Church is a redeemed people gathered together by the grace of God for the glory of God. That's a brief summary statement. And so let's, let's think a little bit deeper about the why then. Why are we gathering? Why are we, why are we existing? And then more specifically, what is our mission? And this is the first M, and this is where we're gonna spend the rest of our time together this morning, okay? The mission, the mission. And let me just be clear up front, the mission of the church is not up for debate. So we didn't come together as elders and say, what should the mission of the church be? What do you think it should be? Let's go around the room. It wasn't that kind of discussion. Uh, we don't have to figure that out. We don't have to come up with that. It's already been given to us, hasn't it? Jesus, some of his last words as he is about to ascend to the Father, Matthew 28, 18, he came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That should just tell us he's the one that, that brings, brings out the orders. He's the one that makes the mission. He's the one that we're obeying. We're listening to and applying what he says. Authority is given to him. Go therefore, he says, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Which that mission will not change until Jesus returns. And we pray that when he returns, he will find us doing what he told us to do when he left. And I, I, so so, so that's, that's, that's not up for debate. And then the, 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 the words that Sam mentioned earlier that he read, I think uh, also would apply and shape our mission as a church from Matthew 22, 
we heard the, the question, Jesus answering the question of the lawyer, teacher, which is the great commandment, greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first, greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So all really that we've done as elders, as we've prayed and thought about these realities, is to try to take those two passages and then just apply them to our own specific context. And so here's how we've done that with this statement. Our mission, University Park Baptist Church, is to be faithfully urgent in making and maturing disciples as we preach the gospel from southwest Houston to the ends of the earth. And I just want to take that phrase by phrase with you and think about it together for the time that we have left. We're trying to capture attention there in that first phrase, in the Christian life that exists, our mission is to be faithfully urgent. Here's the tension. First, we believe that anything life-changing, anything good, anything meaningful that's going to happen in a person's life with eternal impact, anything in a neighborhood, anything on a campus, in a marriage, has to originate with God. If it's going to be meaningful and lasting, it has to be originating with God himself. So our job isn't to, to make the change or bring about the results. Our job is to be faithful. Faithful in introducing people to the person who can, the person who does change them. So it's not and will never be about us. So there's always going to be an emphasis on what we'll call the ordinary means of grace when we, for us as, as a congregation that God has given us. And, and so those are things like gathering regularly as his people for worship. Reading and singing and praying and preaching and, and seeing a picture of the gospel, of the Bible. Discipling one another, helping others to follow Jesus. Sharing the gospel. Gathering regularly for prayer. Strengthening relationships, holding a high standard for membership and accountability. These are not new, innovative things. These are things that, that God has simply called us to. This is his plan. The plan is the church, Ephesians 3.21, bringing glory to him. And so we want to be faithful about the things that God has told us to do and trust him for the results. Not taking matters into our own hands, not trying to produce some kind of man-made results. So that's faithful. And our prayer is that that faithfulness will then be wrapped in urgency. Wrapped, have a sense of, a flavor of urgency. You might even say ambition. Listen to Paul's heart overflow to the Christians in Rome, in Romans 15, 20. He says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. This is, this is a clearly an urgent ambition that Paul has to see people come to know Christ. So an emphasis on faithfulness by no means kills a desire for fruitfulness. Don't hear that. We desire for people to be saved. And we desire for there to be a bright fire burning within each one of us that understands every day what is at stake, that we're not playing games. The enemy would love for us to have a very sleepy, undefined view of hell. That is not what Jesus gives us. 
He gives us hell in 3D HD clarity. It is a fiery furnace where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, Matthew 13, 42. It's outer darkness, Matthew 8, 12. Their worm does not die and the fire is never quenched, Mark 9, 48. Eternal, conscious torment is the way the Bible describes hell. We understand that, that creates urgency, doesn't it? Faithful urgency. I hope you see that tension and I hope that you feel that in your bones and that you would pray that as a congregation, we would feel that and know that we don't have time to waste. Our mission is to be faithfully urgent in making disciples and maturing disciples. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. A disciple is someone who understands that they have sinned against their creator. A disciple is someone that knows because their creator is good and holy that they deserve judgment and hell for their sins. But a disciple is also someone who knows that God has sent his son Jesus into the world to save hell-bound sinners. A disciple understands that Jesus came to be the new Adam, a new representative who would succeed where Adam failed, obey where Adam sinned, and then pay for the sins of all of those that would turn from their sins and put their faith in him, all of God's people. And he did that by dying on a cross as a substitute For sinners, a disciple understands that at the cross, Jesus took the wrath of God for them in their place. He absorbed all of God's wrath against sin for his people. The debt that we could not pay, we can't pay it on our own, Jesus paid it. The stain that we could not clean and wash away on our own, Jesus made white as snow. And the disciple knows that three days later, Jesus rose bodily from the grave. He got up out of the tomb and defeated sin and death forever. A disciple doesn't know these as merely intellectual, theoretical statements, but as the truth, as saving truth. A disciple believes these things. A disciple trusts and banks all of their life on Jesus with every fiber of their being. A disciple repents of sin and trusts in Jesus' work to save. A disciple is forgiven. Forgiven. A disciple is a new creation. A disciple is righteous in the eyes of God. Fully accepted. A disciple has eternal life. Church, we're called to make disciples. And for the disciple... They understand that that is just the beginning. It's not the finish line, it's the beginning. Because we have these words that were read this morning about dying to yourself, forsaking your life, picking up your own cross and following after Jesus on his mission. So a disciple is a follower and we're following someone who went to a cross to die We're a learner, a converted student of Jesus Christ. 
not just to gain more information, but for transformation. A disciple looks more and more like Jesus and less and less like the world. That's why that word maturing is in there. So not just making, but maturing. We're not after people just to raise their hand and sign a card and say, I'm in, and then that's good, we'll see you later. That's not discipleship. It's maturing those disciples to be more and more like Jesus. It's a process, sometimes very slow process, and it's a work of the Spirit that lives in us. So as a church, we're called to make and mature disciples of Jesus. Friend, are you a disciple of Jesus this morning? Just apply that to your own life. Am I someone that has done that personally? Have I trusted Jesus? Am I banking everything, everything on him? Am I trusting him? Am I following him? Am I making other disciples? Am I helping other people to follow Jesus? We don't really see a category, do we, in the Bible for someone who's following Jesus but not helping others to follow Jesus. It's just part of it. It's who we are. We're here to help you know and follow Jesus. We desperately want you to know him. We desperately want you to trust him. We desperately want you to follow him. We do that by taking steps of obedience. For you, that may mean taking a step that, that's a public profession of faith, that's, that's, that we, that's, that's being coming before the congregation, being baptized. The church has been given that authority to assess professions of faith and affirm them by baptism and then exclude those who are making false professions of faith to give the world a clear picture of who Jesus is as they look at his followers. Have you been baptized? Have you followed him in baptism? If you think about that great commission, it's not just hearing the words of Jesus, is it? It's learning to obey the words, observe the words. Are you growing in your obedience to what Jesus said, all that he said? This is what disciples do. That's our, that's our hope. That's our, our mission. So back to the statement. We're, we're here to be faithfully urgent, making and maturing disciples as, how do we do that? We preach the gospel. Preaching the gospel. That's what I did just a minute ago. The good news of how you can understand and know God, how God would bring you home from your rebellion and sin against him to be saved. It's only and exclusively through Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, only through faith in him. You cannot be saved in any other way. It will not be okay if you stand before God apart from faith in Jesus. No mental gymnastics that you would say in your mind will get you there. You don't get saved apart from the gospel. No one gets saved apart from the gospel. How do they hear the gospel? Someone's got to tell them the gospel. Someone's got to announce the gospel. Someone has to preach the gospel. It doesn't drop down from the sky. How then will they call on him who they have not believed, Paul says. How are they to believe in him who they have never heard, Paul says. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Brother or sister, when was the last time you announced the good news? When was the last time you shared with someone else how they can have eternal life? We have to preach the gospel. We make disciples through the gospel, sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel. So far, everything I've said so far, said so far twice, sorry. 
That applies to every Christian in every church everywhere, okay? That's what we're all called to do. But we're not in every place. We are, back to the statement, in Southwest Houston. So we're to preach the gospel in Southwest Houston. God has placed us here by his sovereign providential hand. If you you haven't heard all the ins and outs and the story of the merger and how God did all these things from, I mean, going back from years, years, I would encourage you to to grab someone who's kind of walked through that and and get them to just tell you a little bit about it. It gives me great hope and excitement to, to just think about God's sovereign hand in bringing us here. Here. Of all the places, we're here. I pastored a church for um, 14 years that spent time in Sugarland and in Missouri City and then on a college campus. And I'll honestly, I'll tell you that it was, I, I was so thankful for that time, but there was a sense of transiency that I felt that we're, we're just kind of here for a little bit and we're here for a little bit and we're here for a little bit. And some of you, can, can, that resonates with you. You remember some of the struggle that was there. And so I believe with all my heart that God has brought about UPBC and therefore God has us here for a purpose. Namely, to gather and worship the Lord and to love our neighbor as ourself and to preach the gospel to our neighbor, to this area. Who's our neighbor here? Well, we know we can throw a rock almost if you have a good arm and hit Houston Baptist University. They're our neighbor. They're right here, right here. A few of us helped uh, some uh, those students move in last week. Hopefully you'll be there, some of you, this week as we have an opportunity to meet, meet them and, and share a little bit about our church. We're gonna give away some, 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 some goodies and, and try, to, try to love on some of the students there. We're called to love the students and faculty there with the love of Jesus. Think about our history. Think about our location. Our, our, we, we have a heart to love those students. We need God's wisdom. We need his wisdom for decisions to make about how best to do that, how best to invest in them. Maybe it starts with you just having someone, someone over for lunch, just giving some food and, and just getting to know a little bit about them. But our compass is saying, there they are, and we wanna love and care for them. We wanna pray that many of them will be called to ministry and to the mission field while they're in college. That many will be saved from sin and aimless wandering through life as they come to know Jesus and are given new eyes to live their life for him. What a blessing and a responsibility. Pray for HBU. Pray that God would give us wisdom to care for and reach out to that campus well. There are many uh, low-income, poor, and homeless men and women and families right around our, our congregation, around our church. They are our neighbors. I went for a run this week uh, and uh, asked Derek, Derek, did I go for a run? Okay, he, he, he was there. I ran into him. And as I was running, I ran through a, a shopping center and there were, you know, it's early in the morning, but it's, it's light. And there are multiple homeless people there just sleeping in the shopping center. And I find myself, you know, just kind of almost stepping over them, stepping around them. And, and, and it just kind of gave me a mental picture of, in some ways, that's how I feel a lot. Like, we, we, what are we going to do? How are we going to love and care for these neighbors of ours that are in, these, in this very challenging and difficult position? 
I don't know all the answers for how we're going to, to love and minister to the poor and homeless around us. But I do know this, we can trust God to give us the wisdom. I was, I was preaching at a church last Sunday in Austin and there was a lady on the worship team that was, she was singing and I found out later she came to introduce herself. She's the administrative assistant. She works in the office during the week. And I learned that as like, hey, how did you come to the church? And she just kind of as easy as she could say it said, well, I was addicted to meth and homeless and, and then just came and, and, and the Lord saved me. And so, yeah, that got my attention a little bit. That's not the typical um, the story that, that, that I hear. And after the service, I just kind of pressed her a little bit more and helped me understand. So what was the secret? What, what was the kind of the secret sauce that, that, that brought you here? How did it happen? And, and uh, she was just very kind. And basically, I'm paraphrasing, saying that it was just the power of the word of God. It was just the power of the word of God and the faithfulness of God's people to love her and present the gospel to her over and over, to love her faithfully. And some of that included some tough love. She was cut off by the congregation at one point from any help because she was abusing the help. But God used that process to save her. And now she's this joyous, bubbly lady who loves the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That's true for anyone. That's something we need to remember, right? Even as we, play, we, we pray for those 30 uh, some odd young men that are gonna be in this room on Tuesday night playing basketball. As we pray for them, remember the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Most, almost nobody who's hearing my voice right now is gonna be here on Tuesday night, okay? These are all people from the area, from the neighborhood, and they're gonna come and play basketball and they're gonna hear the word of God and they're gonna hear the gospel. So pray for that. Pray for Tim and Bart as they have their hands full, trying to, to minister and work through um, that, that ministry as much as they can. This month, I've had at least three people reach out to me for help with Afghan refugees. We have these, these people who have poured into our, not just our city, not just Southwest Houston, but, but like right around the corner from us at some of these apartment complexes right, right near us. And they need help. Some of them just need very practical help. You know, they need a ride to the doctor. They need help going to the grocery store. But ultimately, they need help in knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to know God. They're our neighbors. And I could just go on and on and on. We're surrounded by apartments so close to us. And, and so many in those apartments are, right now, they're staying home. They're not here worshiping with us. We're stones throw away from the Women's Pregnancy Center. We're right here in, in Sharpstown and in this greater area called the Southwest District, the University District. And then you drive a little bit further and you're in a, a, a totally different world. You're in Bel Air and Meyerland and, and Maplewood. And, and of course, many of our, our members live minutes away in Sugarland and Richmond and, and Rosenberg and the other direction toward downtown. And as you learned this morning, our fellowship groups kind of meet all over the place and I pray for, prayerfully that'll grow. Um, We've got groups that, that you heard this morning are, I think Lou Marcos's house is right around the corner and, and, uh, and we've got groups in Riverstone and Sugarland. These are our neighbors. The Lord has done this. This is who is before us. And we're to make and mature disciples as we have these opportunities. So we're here in Southwest Houston to preach the gospel, to love our neighbors. And that, that transformed heart that results from regeneration, being born again, is going to overflow for a love for others. 
those in the church, those that are our neighbors, and even those that are far from us and far from God. So we're called to make and mature disciples in and from Southwest Houston. We start there, but the responsibility goes back to the statement, to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth, to the world, to the nations, all the nations, Jesus said. It's estimated that out of some 7.2 billion people alive, 3 billion of them live in what we would call unreached people groups with little or no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So caring about those people is not an option for us as a congregation. As we look at Jesus' clear words, we will either be immersed in prayer and giving and going and equipping and sending and strategizing to get the gospel to the darkest places on the planet, peoples with little or no access to the gospel, or we will be disobedient. Those are our two options. And friends, there's no conflict between making disciples here and there. There's no competition. Jesus calls us to faithful, urgent, sacrificial, bold ministry to both. We're a church that, that gives to the, toward the causes of the Southern Baptist Convention. We also give to other missionaries outside the SBC. And I want to say that these, these kind of first two years are not what I would call normal years uh, due to COVID and the merger but, but having said that, as the elders have thought about this, we're, we're not content of where we are right now with our missions giving and going. We don't think that we have, have arrived in any way. We want to push forward and do all that we can to strategically fund the right ministries, the right churches and missionaries. They're going to be doing good work. And we want to see many of you go. And some of you go and stay. The nations are not and will never be an afterthought here. The compass of our, of our mission will always bring us back there. Because in the end, they will be there. Every tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping and singing with us. Listen to the way Paul describes the mission that I think I've been talking about here as he relates it to the church at Ephesus. Look at Ephesians 4. You can see this on the screen. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is what we're called to do. This is why it can't just be the, the elders vision. Uh, the, the pastor shepherds are here to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to give that compass, compass that Jesus says, follow me and help others to follow me. And so, beloved, when we are driven by the mission of Jesus and focused on him, not only will unity be a result, unity of faith, 
Not only will we grow in maturity, mature manhood, no longer children, we won't be distracted by the enemy's schemes to get us away from our calling and our purpose. So tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So there's a unifying, purifying, sanctifying work that happens when a people walks together toward one goal, one mission, one vision. That's our prayer. That our hope for this redeemed people gathered together by the grace of God, for the glory of God, that we would be laser-focused and faithfully urgent in making and maturing disciples as we preach the gospel from southwest Houston to the ends of the earth. That God would grow us up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. So that when we are joined and held together by every joint, when each part is working properly, the body will grow and build itself up in love. The love of Christ that compels us. We're going to say more about that next time. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our time together. Lord, we thank you for your word and the clear marching orders that we have from you. And we pray now that you would give us hearts that are eager, hearts that are faithful, and have a sense of urgency, Lord, to make disciples, to mature disciples to give our lives away for the gospel, to die to ourselves, to love one another with the love of Christ. And Lord, we pray that as we do that, that we would faithfully witness to this community. Lord, we do pray that you would do more than we can ask or imagine. We have many questions about the particulars before us, but we have no questions about your power and faithfulness and authority. And so we lay these things before you And help us as a congregation as we seek to be obedient. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name.